This is the Rhino for Mets Weekly, and you're listening to the official Mets Weekly podcast, hosted by four Mets fans who are brutally honest and don't hold anything back. Be sure to head over to our YouTube channel, follow us on TikTok for exclusive content on each platform. So with all that being said, let's go Mets and enjoy the show. Now, a few weeks ago, I had a fellow Raiders fan text me who doesn't know a lot about baseball, but he does know a lot about Daniel Vogelbach considering how much Mets fans talk about him on Twitter. He knows that I'm a Mets fan, so he texted me saying that the Mets traded Daniel Vogelbach. That obviously isn't true, because he wasn't traded. And I had to correct him and said that he was non-tendered. And obviously, him not being a big baseball fan, he didn't know what that meant. So I managed to be me, as per usual, and I had to take advantage of this situation. I I told him that Vogelbach can only be paid in chicken tenders from now on, and he believed me for like 10 minutes uh, before looking it up himself. I had fun for a little bit. Is that a true story? Yeah. (laughs) Episode 33 of the Mets Weekly Podcast, 60 Minutes of Brutal Honesty, begins right now. All right, so before we begin, I'm sure you all know the drill by now, but if you don't, make sure to subscribe to the Mets Weekly channel for this podcast every single week, along with instant live streams for breaking news throughout all off-season long. Follow us on Twitter, TikTok, as well as all of our individual links that are in the description. So we are currently recording this about seconds after Shohei Otani just signed a monstrous deal. Well, let's just let's just give a little bit of thoughts on that because this is obviously a headline of the offseason. Then we'll just get to the Mets baseball. And I wasn't expecting that. Uh, 700 million over 10 years. The world of fake check marks and fake accounts and all this uh, when you see the 700 million number all over the timeline, you really got to do a double take. You're like, are these these spam accounts? These these crazy accounts? And then to find out that it was real uh, was really crazy to me because this is a guy that we've been talking about for a while now. But the pending free agency we talked about, you know, would you pay 500 million for Shohei Otani and how crazy that would have been? And the fact that it went way above that to 700 million. I mean, who could have predicted that? Uh, And really, you got to give props to Shohei Otani for being the one to take the initiative of being like, okay, I'm going to help you guys out, do all these deferrals so that we can still actually have a good team. And, you know, you'd like to see other players, not just in baseball, but in all the sports, take that same mindset of, you know, I'm still going to get the money, but can I do it in a way that it still actually helps my team and doesn't really hamstring them salary cap wise now baseball is a little different but still uh, i just think the fact that otani took that initiative and you know what you can't read anything you see uh, yesterday was all about you know blue jays this and a dinner and a flight and this and that and it looks like otani's going to the blue jays then all of a sudden he's a dodger i mean the dodgers they, they've done stuff like this before where a player and a team has a deal and all of a sudden next day they're a dodger uh, we, we've definitely seen that before so for me, it just shows that the Dodgers are still the kings right now when it comes to spending. Uh, as much as people want to make it out to be the Mets, and the Mets don't do so. Obviously, the Mets don't do something like that, uh, and and I don't think they will because there's only one Shohei Otani, uh, and we've talked about it on this podcast. But he's going to be a DH this year. So you know, how does that investment look long term? Uh, if he is a pitcher, how long can he be a pitcher? Is it going to be these half seasons, things like that? 
Uh, and you know what? The pressure is really on the Dodgers now. Any team that has Mookie, Freddie, Shohei, you got to win. I mean, and you got to win it all. So I, I think as a Mets fan, it's a little more frustrating definitely to face them when it comes to in the National League if the Mets actually get back to the playoffs. Uh, matching up with them will not be fun with the current state of our pitching staff. But that's what we will get into. Yeah, at this point, um, I think we can all agree that the Dodgers were a strong possibility for Shohei Otani from the very beginning. And I'm not really upset about it with Mookie Betts and, and Freddie Freeman. I was kind of expecting that to happen. Obviously, $700 million is just unheard of. We've never heard of that before. I mean, we've talked about it before. Like, this is going to be a free agency that... We have never seen ever because this is someone who can throw the ball 100 miles an hour and hit the ball 100 miles an hour. He's not going to be doing that this year, but he can eventually be doing that in the future. It's a big risk to take. And you know what? Hats off to the Dodgers to go con completely star hunting, conti continue to do it. As a Mets fan, I'm not upset. I, I think it was all established that he they were not chasing after Shohei Otani out of the position that they were in. And I think that at this point, you know, all you can do is just, you know, move on and and hope for the best. And as of right now, we all knew what was holding up the market, and that was Shohei Otani. So now things can finally flow. Obviously, we can talk forever about what's going on with Shohei Otani, but we do not know the terms completely of this contract. I'm really excited to see it, but I don't think we're going to get it for a while. So unless it pops up while we're recording this, let's move on to the actual New York Mets of what we're actually here to talk about. Starting off from last week, the Mets made their first major addition signing Luis Severino to a one-year $13 million contract. The hard-throwing right-hander will cross the river to Queens after spending 13 years with the Yankees organization, campaigning two all-star selections in 2017 and 2018. But his success has also come with some recent struggles, battling multiple injuries in the last four years, undergoing Tommy John surgery in 2020, and suffering multiple upper body injuries ever since. Severino made his return last season with the Yankees, pitching just 89.1 innings as a starter and posting a 6.65 earned run average, 6.14 fielding independent pitching, striking out just 18.9% of batters in 2023. Looking to rebound and regain his old form, the Mets take a bet on the 29-year-old Severino, expected to be slotted into the Mets rotation come opening day. I think in a recent, it uh, might have been the live stream that we did or a previous podcast, I had went on the record saying that I was not a big fan of uh, even looking at Luis Severino. And this was before the Mets even signed him. And it's a few reasons why. Uh, the main reason is his best days it's been quite a while i mean we talked about okay you know he's only 29 but when he was an all-star by the time next year starts that's five years ago i mean that's quite a while before a guy was a, a top top echelon pitcher in the league and i talked about it that i felt that he was always overrated even in his best years luis severino is a guy who reminds me a lot of noah syndergaard at his best where these are guys who could give you five innings of two-run ball, but that's all they're giving you is five innings because it took them 100 pitches to get it done because you have guys fouling it off and every count is a long count. So if he's not actually going deep into ball games, if you don't have a dominant bullpen, even at his best, I'm a little skeptical of him. So you have the fact that his best days are behind him. And then number two, like we always talk about, 
the hell. I mean, it has not been good over the past few years. Having Tommy John is one thing. Like I say, it's it's a standard it's a standard thing with pitchers nowadays. I mean, it feels like a prerequisite. Everybody gets Tommy John surgery. But the fact that even after that, he's had these upper body injuries, can't hit 25 starts these past couple of years, that's not a good sign. No, he's already 29 turning 30. And as we know, it becomes even harder to make your 25 to 30 starts a year once you're getting older. So for me, I see Luis Sabrina as a guy who's been on a steady decline and, you know, father time would tell you that's going to continue. And I think whether it's Luis Severino or all these other relievers the Mets have been signing, they are taking the bounce back one year flyer approach. And like we say, there's no such bad, there's no such thing as a bad one year deal. But I think that with the state of the New York Mets rotation right now, the lack of depth that the New York Mets rotation has right now, I don't think putting 13 million into Luis Severino would have been one of my first courses of action. And mainly because if he gets hurt, what are you turning to? We talked about David Peterson already being out. I mean, Tyler McGill, he's next man up. And then, like we say, what do you have after that? That's what really worries me because it's like, okay, do we trust Jeremy Hefner this much? Do we think that Jeremy Hefner could turn Luis Severino and a guy who, like you said, high five, high six ERA back into an all-star? Where do we have the evidence that Jeremy Hefner has done that? And just from the Mets staff and development as a whole, where do we have the evidence that they could do something like that? And is it really just that it's David Stearns, that he's the guy who could turn everything around when it comes to pitching? Or was that Stearns identifying guys as good bounce back candidates and then the Milwaukee staff actually doing the work and getting these guys back on track? That's what I'm really curious to see because all these guys that Mets are signing, we'll get to Jorge Lopez later. All these guys that they have something good about them. They got a spin rate. They, they got something that you like. Can they put it all together? That's going to come down to coaching. That's going to come down to the Mets personnel to get these guys to do that. I haven't seen it with the pitchers that the Mets have brought in recently that they could do it. Because it's not like we've seen, you know, Stearns comes in and then you have a new pitching coach. And then you have a bunch of new guys in the front office. You have a bunch of new coaches that are going to help with this pitching lab that we like to call it. We haven't seen those hires. So it, at this point, it's like with anything. You have to just trust that David Stearns knows what he's doing. Because on paper, this was not my first choice, second choice, third choice. He's a guy I really want to target. I just don't think he's worth it. I think that best years behind him, and that's if he's even on the map. I will go completely from the other side here and say that I completely disagree. Oh, he's going to be coming into a 29-year-old season. Yes, he's had injuries. Yes, he has had problems to stay on the mound. The reason why I do like this move is because I think that if the Mets are making this look like a wait-and-see year in 2024 to see what they can get, if they don't perform well, this is someone who someone could buy really high on at the trade deadline if he does pitch well. The thing is, is that when he came back, the stuff was definitely still there. I think that he was one of the main candidates for just completely tipping pitches when he was here. I hate to say just tipping pitches as like a as the main reason why he pitched like crap, but the stuff was still there. It regressed a little bit, obviously, coming back from multiple injuries, but the stuff was definitely still effective enough to 
put up those put up those zeros as he was able to do before he got injured. I also saw some speculation about how there was a connection between Severino and Carlos Mendoza, and that maybe there's a reason why he brought, was brought over here. I don't know if that's true. I think this is a really good signing of somebody who has had good stuff in the past, who has strikeout stuff, who actually throws hard, has actual depth in their arsenal. And I think that the main point that I get from this is the fact that I think that the Mets are going for a six-man rotation. And the reason why I say that is because of who they are pursuing, the top the top name. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Senga, of course, there's been talks about how Stearns wants to know where he's at and ask him if he prefers to pitch every six days or every five days or what his conditioning rules are. And then you have guys like uh, Luis Severino. We also saw them attached to Eric Fetty as well. You know, some that probably could give you a five and fly if they don't do well or if they have stamina issues. But a six-man rotation, the main focus of a six-man rotation is to keep all of your arms healthy. And we have seen that a lot in Milwaukee under David Stearns, where they do a six-man rotation, two lefties, four righties, you know, these different combinations of pitchers. So I really like this approach because I don't know if it's just a PTSD situation where we had this Harvey, DeGrom, Syndergaard, Mats, Wheeler, where that uh, rotation only pitched once healthy at the same time. But I really want to keep this rotation healthy. And I really want to keep this rotation not having to rely on the older guys to push all the way through. I feel like they're catching it at the best point right now. So if this was a six-man rotation, would you take a little bit lightly to an addition to Severino? Yes, because I think that we still have quite a few holes in this rotation. Yeah, um, obviously, we'll get to the big guy later on. Uh, you know, we're talking about Jose Quintana and Kodai Senga as your two, like, okay, we, we kind of know that they're going to be there every five days. And even Quintana, I mean, he's a guy that's now looking in his mid-30s. Uh, obviously, he just came off the the surgery last year, but he, he finished the year okay. And generally speaking, has been a pretty durable arm, so he should be okay. Uh, you have Senga, but I just think that I, I, I wanted someone more, uh, again, we talked about like that Bassett role, but someone who's a little more reliable, a little more is healthy every year, uh, gives you more innings every five days. I think that's a higher priority for the Mets right now, especially if they are looking for an ace in uh, Yamamoto. I think they still need that guy in the middle of the rotation who's going to be giving you that every five days. I don't think that's what Severino's going to do. I mean, and in order to make a six-man rotation, I want to see six good arms. And it's like we say, don't just have five arms, six arms. Give me ten arms. I mean, how about that? Like, how about actually having quality guys who could step up for you? They haven't done that yet. Uh, and obviously, there's still a lot of off season to go. But I'm just talking about in general, the past few years, the whole Steve Cohen regime, we are yet to see it. So th that's the main thing that I want to see because all these other organizations, they call up a bunch of – they have young arms that they could either trade for pieces a la Yankees Juan Soto or could just step up and be quality starting pitchers for you. That's the thing that I, I really want to see this team do. We'll see what they do because I am interested to see because they said like, okay – it's, they're expected to bring in multiple starting pitchers here, and I don't know what... Yeah, if he ends up becoming the five, I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. But I think right now... That, that I'm just saying, he's just one, been one of my first guys that I'm going out to sign. 
I, I oh think no, absolutely. I think I think there's other there's other guys who have had like injury issues that I probably would have gone after over Severino. But I think that there's this is someone who has performed as a two before when he's fully healthy and he's actually able to go on the mound as a an actual piece. And then also there's a possibility that he could still do that being 29 years old. Like, I understand, like, yes, he's declined recently, but there still is upside with him going into his early 30s. And I think that if it works, it works. You can get a lot of value from him, especially from, like, the back end of rotation with the stuff that he has. And if it doesn't work, he's gone next year. It's always the low-risk, high-reward pieces, but this also is this little factor of Severino, who has had top profile stuff a lot for a long time in his career, you know, as we said, he was in the Yankees organization for 13 years. This is a good foundational move of someone who could definitely contribute. Obviously, it's not someone who you can rely on to get 170 innings out of this year. It's not going to happen. It makes me feel like, especially just in the direction that we've seemed to go, with the Mets' rotation and free agency. There hasn't been much that's leaked out, but what we have seen, it seems like they're aiming for that six-man rotation. This is the perfect arm, I think, to slot in here. Someone who has really struggled to stay healthy, but has the stuff to give you possibly more innings with a six-day resting period. If I could get five from Severino every five days, hopefully I could get six from Severino every six days. Like, that's how I'm seeing it. If I can get six from Severino somewhat consistently, I think that's good value for $13 million for one year. And I think Eric Fetty would have been that sixth man, uh, so Probably, to speak, in, yeah. in the rotation. But, you know, he ended up choosing the White Sox. Uh, so it looks like the Mets definitely, I mean, if the fact they had an offer on the table for Fetty at a low AAV makes you think that, yes, they are trying to keep that approach of, okay, six man, maybe long reliever, thing like that, swing man. Uh, so we'll see who else they actually target for that role, but it does look like something they're trying to do. I've said multiple times that I want to see the balance of quality and quantity, and you're definitely seeing this with that. So if they do go with a six-man rotation and they, they do build up the pitching depth under Stearns, you know, this is quality right here. Severino, already, if I were to full-on guess, like just off the top of my head, he already has the third best stuff out of this entire pitching staff right now behind Sang and Diaz. Like if I if I were to if I were to say that cuz like again, doesn't say much because the Mets have really had a lack of that recently aside from like a few like profile guys, but you know, if you're talking about pure tools and pure talent, I'm taking a 29-year-old Severino right now over a Max Scherzer that I'm giving 40 million dollars to or a Justin Verlander that like I I am taking the upside compared to these guys who are old and I have to rely on them at the top of my rotation. So after all the risks that they've taken with pitching recently, this is not a risk that I am opposed to. I'm not saying this is a slam dunk move, but I think this is a good addition to the rotation with the upside that he has, with the stuff that he has. And also he still does have history of pitching very well. And if he doesn't pitch well, you toss him out 
move on. So on the same day as Severino, the Mets also signed infield utility man Joey Wendell to a one-year, $2 million deal. Wendell is 33 years old, spent 2022 and 2023 with the Marlins after being traded from Tampa two years ago, fresh off of an all-star campaign. In 2023, he struggled at the plate mightily, slashing 212, 248, 306 with a 47 WRC plus in a negative 0.8 win season, split across 318 plate appearances. Wendell is known for his flexibility on defense, being able to play second base, third base, shortstop, and a little bit of left field as a plus overall defender and base run. When asked about the third base position, David Stearns established that the Mets will address it most likely internally, mentioning Brett Beatty, Ronnie Mauricio, and Joey Wendell as the expected depth chart. So if this was a year or two ago, I would be a lot happier about this move uh, when Joey Wendell was just coming off his all-star year uh, with Tampa Bay. As we know, this past year, Miami definitely was a big struggle. Wendell is essentially replacing Luis Guillermo. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. Uh, another guy who come in here, play all over the infield, plus a little bit of outfield, and do it without being an absolute turtle on the base pass. A guy who could actually move just a little bit and can actually go from base to base compared to Luis Guillermo. So that in itself is an upgrade. And I think, again, you're seeing David Stearns take this approach of, okay, let's buy low one year. Maybe this guy could turn into what he was in, in Tampa Bay, which we know he won't. But, again, he's going for those guys that in the past had good years a while back that you wouldn't be able to get for this deal a couple of years ago. And I, I think with Joey Wendell, he's a guy that it, it, he's a lot – he's he's like a lot of these Met hitters. I mean, he's a guy that we know is not going to pull the ball. We know he's looking to put that to ball. He's a guy who – uh, he's able to work the count. He's able to foul off pitches. So he has those similarities to Guillaume, but at least he's a guy who's not going to go in there, uh, you know, three pitches and sit down, or he's just going to go in there not swinging the bat. I mean, he's a guy that when you need him to start, he's going to be hopefully at least passable. Uh, and you're hoping that he could turn to be a guy that if he bounces back to what he was, can actually be a starting caliber player. Again, not the best fit for this Mets team, but I think once we get into later on who the Mets have been targeting, it kind of looks like these are the kind of players they're looking for. Uh, so uh, difference in philosophy and to the approach that we've talked about uh, throughout the whole offseason so far. Uh, but this is just a guy that I, I think on the low salary can't really hurt you when you're looking at a backup. Interest. Listen, I, I'm not a fan of this, of course, but it's like I'm not going to get really mad at it. Again, like it's hard to hate it, a one-year deal. Like I'm not expecting him to take this huge – role on the team unless there's like a million amount of injuries i don't like him that much i really am not a fan but if they want the positional flexibility i understand that i mean the mets have really had a lot of limited players defensively come off of their bench recently the thing is is that i wanted the mets to get someone who regularly can play third base to push these prospects off of it and kind of move them ahead as insurance. I don't think Joey Wendell is that guy to do it. I mean, if I'm comparing it to other pieces like, you know, that are out there that are not the sexiest names possible, but they're veterans who could start in a pinch because they have experience doing it. Gio Arshella, I've mentioned. Gene Segura is out there. Who else is, is available? Uh, Nick Senzel was available. I don't think that this is the guy to push the prospects off of 
third base if they do not perform. That was the main focus that I had going into third base. I wasn't looking to replace any of them at third base. I was willing to give them time, give Mauricio the chance there. It is pretty interesting. We'll get into it a little bit later how it seems like the Mets have just kind of just lost all touch with Mark Vientos playing third base whatsoever. I'm okay with that. I don't think he's a good third baseman at all, but it is pretty interesting because they didn't really give him much of an equal shot there, really see like how they can predetermine that. But I think that, you know, if you're replacing Guillaume, you're replacing Guillaume. I just think that this is pretty much replacing the play level of Guillaume that doesn't really push these prospects off of it. I think with Vientos, it's more so uh, the evaluation from the minor leagues. I mean, anyone who's watched him a little bit in the minors or the brief stints MLB, it's just not going to happen, and it's not there. Uh, it, it's more so can you play it or not. It, it's not something that he was going to learn. So I'm okay with him just focusing on you know first base DH like we've talked about, uh, pinch hitter. because But like you said, I, I would like to see them – at least have some kind of push, like, you know, the Evan Longoria role, so to speak, as far as uh, pushing these guys at third base, because you shouldn't always guarantee, uh, you shouldn't always have the approach that, okay, these prospects are a guarantee, especially with someone like Beatty who has struggled so much in two years already. Uh, I wouldn't really have that approach. Uh, it's not like this is a, a number one pick who just got here. This isn't Corbin Carroll, so to speak. You know, like, th these guys aren't that caliber. So I think to automatically be like, okay, and third base is going to be in-house. Uh, that definitely is an interesting decision. And, and that's why, uh, again, I'm just very curious to see, is there going to be any big spending outside of hopefully the guy we're going to talk about later on? Because that's the guy going to be on offense. I, I mean, you look at who the Mets have been linked to, unless they're keeping everything very, very secret. I, I, I don't see big money coming in outside of maybe a starting pitcher or two. I feel like everything else looks like it's going to be these – short-term, low AAV deals. And if that's the case, you're not going to find those guys who actually can start and push uh, young players and things like that, despite, like we, like I talked about, how many spots they actually need to fill starter-wise. The thing is about this, I think the Mets just have such a conglomerate need, a massive, I think it's a size of a black hole at this point of pitching, that I don't even think they're really considering any of these frontline position players right now at all. Like I don't, I, and I don't blame them to be honest. If you look at the Mets' depth chart right now of pitching, it is brutal. Like it is very, very brutal. You have a few guys who a majority of the year last year were in Double A that are that were that are being considered for the Mets bullpen, and you know the Fangraphs depth chart pretty brutal when you look at the internally look at the Mets internally for pitching. And, you know, they brought in, you know, multiple arms so far on some minor league deals, some one-year deals. I think that there's going to be one, like, high-profile reliever that is a name that they bring in. And then hopefully there is one bat that they do bring in, preferably an outfielder. But I think that right, right now they're just focusing on the pitching. I'm not really happy with this one, mainly because I think that it just doesn't really upgrade the bench. It just kind of just makes it, it just gives it more tools. And listen, I, I like when they, I like when they, they scout tools and they don't, you know, they don't scout track record because they try to get it at the, at that perfect point. But I just don't like the profile of this guy. And I, I really never have. I don't think he's a great hitter at all. Um, I don't think he's, you know, a dif difference maker whatsoever, but 2 million, that's what you, that's what you pay for. And, to be honest, Luis Guillorme, I think, was projected to get like 2.4 million. So it's 2 million that Joey Wendell 
uh, gets. So it's 400K less, I guess, if you want to look at it like that. I can't believe that there legitimately were way too many Mets fans who actually were upset that the Mets chose Wendell over Guillaume. And I'm like, do you not look at one guy at their best and another guy at their best? Like, to me, there's no... I got me, shit about that on Twitter, actually. Yeah. Well, to me, no, no, it was it was way after you had posted that. It was when the Mets actually signed Wendell. There was a lot of people like, "Why would you just paint your Yarmay?" If you actually look at these guys at their best, it's not even close. So yeah. I, I, didn't, well, I didn't really understand that. A Wendell versus Giorme debate is like just the biggest waste of time whatsoever. I mean, to be honest, in my opinion, they both suck. Like they're both terrible. For people to actually be angry about it and want Giorme back, I'm like. This was another guy who also was getting worse every year. Like it's the it's the blue and orange goggles that you get in the off season, where like people just forget like the very very worst, which has been a lot, and then they remember him catching a bat, him juggling, him pitching, him this and that. Like yeah, again, it's, it's a bunch of things that don't actually attribute to winning. I mean, the things he's most known for have nothing to do with actually winning games, which is what matters. I got so much shit for it, I, and I and I said on Twitter, I said, like, it literally seems like Mets fans are missing Guillaume uh, way more than when DeGrom left. I got so much shit for it because Mets fans are allowed to have emotions, and it's it's so hard to just, uh, this uh, like, do you want to win or not? Like, that's the, that's the point of it. It's like, do you want to win or not? Do you like guys who are just nice? guys who are just fun to look at or do you actually want to win baseball games i don't understand the fascination with some of these players who were good like five years ago or they had a few good moments but then they just like with no upside whatsoever they just have such an attachment to them like i understand the mets we haven't had much to root for but like i feel like the the president should be it should be should have raised a lot more recently because Right now, they brought in an owner who has expressed his want to win, and like, can we just stop with this stupid shit already? I mean, you can't be you can't be serious and say, "Oh yeah, I want Giorme here as a part of a championship team." You're not going to win games with Giorme as your depth coming off the bench. And that's the thing is that like Joey Wendell was a starter on a world. They didn't win the World Series, but he was a starter on a team that was in the World Series. Like. Luis Guillermo will never be a starter on a team that's in the World Series or in a championship game, whatever like that. Like Again, if Guillermo is so valuable and you see a lot of these minor league deals that are going through, everybody's lining up the door to get Luis Guillermo right now. Yeah. I mean, do you see that? I mean, it's it's unreal. It's not a knock on Guillermo. I mean, he's he's been like he's been a part of this organization for a long time, but like at one point you gotta say enough is enough. Like I mean, some people were surprised that he got non-tendered. I'm not really surprised. I really just... It's, it's a new, like, a, a new GM and everything. Like, you should expect a big amount of non-tenders. And that's what we saw. I mean, that's why their 40-man roster is at such a low number that they need a lot of bodies to get to this organization. You know, a lot of moves. I'm all for, you know, while they're waiting on their main guy right now to to add to the to the roster i would have gone in a different direction but i'm not going to complain about a one-year deal of somebody who is going to be on the bench most likely yeah and, and they got iglesias to a minor league deal which honestly not bad either sure. so at least again so at, at least when there is an injury and iglesias gets called up it's a at least it's a guy we've heard of before you know what i mean that's the big thing it's not Devin morero getting called that's another up, former all-star there. too there you go <laughs> another former all-star <laughs> who also Back in 2015, beat the living crap out of James McCann. So you know what? We're friends. 
it's the best fucking signing of the entire offseason as far as I'm concerned. Now, speaking of massive pitching needs, it looks like a spot in the bullpen has been filled this week. The Mets have signed right-handed reliever Jorge Lopez to a one-year, $2 million contract. Now, after his strong performance in the WBC for Team Puerto Rico, Lopez struggled a lot in 2023, bouncing around three different teams such as the Twins, Orioles, and Marlins. The 30-year-old posted a 5.95 earned run average, 5.76 fielding independent pitching, striking out just 18.4% of batters across 59 innings pitched in relief. Mets president of baseball operations David Stearns is very familiar with Lopez for his short tenure in Milwaukee, where he rotated in and out of the Brewers' starting rotation from 2014 to 2018 before being traded to Kansas City at the deadline. If all goes well, given his recent success and experience, Jorge Lopez could be joining the back end of the Mets bullpen come opening day, setting up frontline lefty Brooks Raley and the Mets star closer Edwin Diaz, who will be returning from injury in 2024. This was one that really surprised me because uh, the first reports that we saw, it was not from a, a well-known MLB report or anything like that. So I was like, is this real? And then eventually we found out it was. Uh, and you know what? This is one that I'm happy about. I, I do like what Jorge Lopez has to bring to the table. Uh, Puerto Rican bias aside, the WBC, you can even hear what the other players have said. It's like a playoff atmosphere. Like, it is no joke. It's Alexis as loud Diaz, as Marlins Park will ever get. <laughs> exactly. Alexis Diaz actually crumbled when the pressure was on. Obviously, that when Diaz injury had something to do with it. But Jorge Lopez, this guy came into some big jams, and he was money. And, you know, and the year before that, you know, he was really good reliever. I'm sure you could give us a better idea of what happened, you know, as far as the, the, the numbers and things like that. Because to me, I'm like, how did it go from he's good the year before that, he's good at WBC, and as he starts, the guy just falls off a cliff. I, I mean, that whole trajectory didn't make sense to me. But I think this is another one where counting on a bounce back candidate, high upside, stuff is still there. You know, he has all of the ingredients of a Stearns bounce back caliber guy. And again, similar to Luis Severino, this is ultimately going to come down to, can Jeremy Hefner put it back all together? Can the Mets staff get Jorge Lopez back on track? Uh, because, uh, or maybe just having Edwin Diaz around him will kind of solve everything and get that connection going. But I, I think that, you know what, at his best, you know, now even, even at 90% of his best, this is a good pitcher uh, and a lot better than what the Mets had in the bullpen right now, because like we talked about, when you look at just those names on the 40-man roster, especially in the pitching department, yikes. Um, so to get a guy like Lopez for that low of AAV, another one-year deal, which you always love with relievers. And again, it's a guy who, if he's doing really good, team's bad, you can trade him off, similar to Severino, or you know, if he's great, I mean, that, that just helps you down the road. So um, I, did, I definitely like this move because the AAV was so low. And I think that this is a prime bounce back candidate. So I, I'm very good with this. I mean, you told me that we can get an insight of, of I could give you an insight on uh, what really happened with Jorge Lopez last year. To be honest, I don't know. <laughs> I really actually don't know because uh, overall, everything that he was able to throw last year, it still projects well. Like it still just was able to project well, even just throughout a down year season. I think it's just like an extra tick that went down in velocity. You know, it seems like the fastball and the sinker usage was very erratic. Like it just went up and down a little bit. There was some confidence issues or something like that. But then he also has this ridiculous like um, like hard spitting knuckle curve and things like that. I think that this is a perfect example of what 
Stearns has been able to do for so goddamn long. They're not going off of track record. They're not going off of all of these uh, pieces that had a good ERA last year or two years of two years ago. They're going strictly off of tools and pure talent and ability because what people don't understand, tools are a better way to evaluate than stats because tools create stats. So when you look at this right now, this is someone who's got a hard sinker, just ridiculous movement, basically like three different angles from five different pitches. I don't know if he would do better as like a two-pitch type of guy or something like this, but he also has like this very big meta slider um, that that like cuts very hard. So that's something that could really be good. And it seems like uh, it seems like Stearns really has a type for these cutting edge sliders. Again, at the right time, this is if you can put it all together, he can contribute well because he's at age 30 right now. That's the reliever prime right there. As Stearns, who has seen the ins and outs of what has gone on with Torre Lopez, of who was called up as a rookie when Stearns was there, feeling a need if it all goes well, of another guy who can actually throw fucking hard in this bullpen. I'm so happy that they went with this direction, a one-year deal. Like, I'm glad that this could be our Adovino. The one-year, two million, three million, this is your Aaron Luke. This is high-profile stuff that can produce a lot, and that's what I really like about this addition. Is it all they need to do in the bullpen? Absolutely not. This is someone who, if he does pitch well, he is a back-end threat in that bullpen to protect Edwin Diaz. And, you know, you're looking for a bounce back. And I think that the Mets are going to look into someone who is who has definitely done well recently. I think that they are going to go after somebody like that, whether it is like Robert Stevenson or whether it is like, you know, I don't know if it's, I doubt it's Liam Hendricks, but somebody like that, I think that they're going to add to this bullpen. But... I think that this is the perfect upswing of somebody who can project very well. And I think that out of all of the people to trust with this type of situation, Stearns is the guy to do it. It's always a wait and see of what he's going to be able to do, but this is a good direction to go in. And I really do like how the Mets are kind of ignoring this whole, how they have done statistically, how they have done in the past recently and how that's going to project to the next day. They're using tools and ability and talent, and that's what produces those types of stats if you get it right. And that's the entire, that is the direction that they need to go in with these relievers. And it's not just he had an ERA, he had a this, he had a that, he did well for a while, and uh, just stop. And it's just stop picking up garbage. Like, that's literally it. Just stop picking up garbage. And out of all of these relievers and all these pieces of tools and ability, I have not been dissatisfied with any any one of them. I understand exactly why they like them. Again, they still have to execute it, but it is in the right direction. And what I really, really like about all of these arms that they have brought in from the Austin Adams or the, the Michael Tonkin, I don't, I don't know who, who's the other guy they brought in, all these other guys they brought in the major league deals, even on some of the minor league deals, they all have one thing in common. They don't have command issues. And this has been the biggest goddamn problem with the Mets. The freaking home run ball, especially from the bullpen, the home run ball has been a massive problem. 
for the Mets for a long goddamn time. Command is hard to fix. Control can be tweaked. Pitch shape can be tweaked. All these types of things. But when you have that one piece of command, you're going to go very far with the tools that you have. And that's what the Mets are looking at so far. Hopefully they don't disappoint me, but I'm tired of the hard contact. I'm tired of the home runs. I'm tired of them being given up in big spots. Fuck you, Drew Smith. Now let's talk about the top of the hot stove, especially with Shohei Otani off of the market. As we all know, the Mets have been attached to Japanese sensation right-handed pitcher Yoshinobu Yamamoto before he was even posted. The timeline has changed a lot in short increments of time, so let's give the latest. A few days ago, it was reported by Will Salmon that Mets owner Steve Cohen and president of baseball operations David Stearns traveled to Japan to meet Yamamoto and his camp in person last week. In effect to this, Andy Martino reported that the Mets seemed to be better positioned in Yamamoto's market after their trip to Japan. Martino continued saying the Mets' purpose of the visit was to make clear of the depth and seriousness of their interests and to give the pitcher the chance to get to know the team and its top executives, and it appears that it's been a success. The Crosstown rival Yankees were identified as a favored destination for Yamamoto, but multiple sources believe that Cohen and Stearns may have been able to level the playing field last week. ESPN reporter Jeff Passing gave his take on the situation, saying that he believes that Yamamoto just wants to get paid, referencing Cohen's trip to Japan that the Mets want him badly. Other possible destinations listed besides the Mets and Yankees include the Dodgers, Red Sox, and Cubs, as Yamamoto is expected to sign very soon. Many executives and industry sources have been expecting the price to reach close to $300 million in free agency. Viewed as the clear top pitcher on the market, Yamamoto is just 25 years old and has spent the last seven seasons in the NPB for the Ori Buffaloes, posting a dazzling 1.72 earned run average in 967.2 career innings, alongside five NPB All-Star selections, three league triple crowns, three league MVPs, three Pitcher of the Year awards, three gold gloves, two career no-hitters, two Olympic gold medals, and won a World Baseball Classic title last season with Team Japan. Without even throwing a pitch in the MLB, Yamamoto has emerged as one of the hottest commodities on the market, as Japanese baseball's most accomplished active player in such a short span. This is the big guy, like I talk about. I mean, this is the one that is really the focal point of the Mets. He has their attention right now. And it feels like he's the big piece that once his decision is made, we'll get a much better indication of what the Mets are going to do elsewhere. Uh, and I think the fact that it looks like, you know, with the Dodgers just paying the $700 million to Otani, that it looks like it's a Mets and Yankees race. I mean, sure, the Red Sox getting involved, the Cubs getting involved, definitely. But uh, I really am curious to see how this goes as far as that, if there does actually become a true bidding war uh, between the Mets and the Yankees. And I think the pressure is on the Mets to get this done, especially with the Yankees just acquiring Juan Soto this past week. I feel like you can't let them get Yamamoto as well. I just think it'd be a bad look for uh, Steve Cohen, this guy who's been you know, regarded as the richest owner in baseball. And if there's a player he really wants, which it seems like they've identified Yamamoto as one of those, you can't let him go elsewhere. Uh, you got to make sure that you secure it. 
to get it done. And I'm, I'm just curious to see what the number does come out. At the beginning of the offseason, I didn't think he'd be a guy who was going to get the $300 million deal. Uh, I was hoping it'd be something more similar to Sanga, who got a, a good deal, but not a, a crazy deal. Uh, but I, I just think that uh, with the kind of buzz that Yamamoto has surrounding him, it looks like he is going to turn into one of those really big-time contracts. And you can understand why. I mean, between the age, between the stuff, the results, uh, he's got all the tools that you want as far as a, a big-time pitcher. And like we talked about, the Mets have uh, the big hole in the pitching market. Uh, if this is going to be their one big spend, you got to get him. I mean, you can't pivot to just be like, oh, we didn't get Yamamoto I guess we just have to throw a bunch of money at Blake Snell. You can't have that kind of approach. I mean, if Yamamoto's your guy, you got to get your guy. Because if not, then you're just going to be settling for, you know, your next choices and just not making the most of uh, the money that you want to spend. So uh, for me, I do think there's a lot of pressure on the Mets to get this done. And boy, do I hope it gets done. Because if they don't, things do get pretty dicey, uh, especially if you just let your crosstown team, it just be a, a bad look, a, a tough day for Mets fans if, if that does happen. So uh, for me, Cohen's got to make sure that they prevent that. There's obviously a massive amount of interest from the Mets. The Mets really do want Yamamoto bad. And, uh, you know, we also saw Andy Martino report that he's never seen a free agent that the Mets have wanted this badly. We're kind of out of the loop a little bit of where the direction he is going you know we don't really have like any expectation of like a favorite team between Mets and Yankees uh, I don't think that they get outbid especially if this is a guy who they desperately desperately want at one point I think that you know it's Yamamoto or die right now like that's how we're kind of looking at it because how these moves have been made right now from the Mets' perspective, they've done a lot of one-year deals. They've done a lot of minor league deals. We haven't gotten anything really of a main focus besides Yoshinobu Yamamoto. Like, we have not seen them attached to any relievers consistently. We have not seen them attached to any bats consistently. We've seen one story, and then it goes away. We haven't seen them in any other big name besides Yamamoto. So, as we talk about with, like, Pete Alonso. The offense goes as Pete Alonso goes. The offseason goes wherever Yamamoto goes. This is the fork in the road that where they pivot to next. I really don't want to imagine a scenario without Yamamoto signing with the Mets, to be honest. I really am not appealing to these other options on the free agent market who are not 25 like Yamamoto. I'm not throwing six years at Blake Snell. I wouldn't throw six years at Jordan Montgomery. I wouldn't throw, um, you know, a prove-it deal at uh, Lucas Giolito. Like, I'm not doing that. It's not something, like, off the top of my head. I'm like, okay, well, we didn't get Yamamoto. Let's go after this guy. It's a freaking need. The Mets need pitching. They need young pitching. They need longevity and you know there was another young Japanese pitcher that there was a news story about of him possibly getting posted earlier than we expected but I mean Yamamoto best pitcher in all of Japan right now so this is someone that you really want to plug into the rotation we all know that Sango wants him a lot we all know the Mets want him a lot and to be honest at this point it all depends where he wants to go the Mets aren't going to get outbid I doubt that they get outbid at all they will offer the most money than any team out there. I can almost guarantee that. It all depends if, if he wants to play for the Mets. Like, that's literally all that you are banking on. And hopefully, 
that is the case. Like you said, longevity, the age. I mean, that, that's the really big thing here. Uh, you know, compared to the Verlander, the Scherzer in recent years, uh, the Mets need to get a guy who, you know what? It's like, okay, at least you have Yamamoto in your rotation going forward. Like we talk about the most important thing to building a championship team is young starting pitching. And like we've talked about, the Mets don't have it on the way. So how else are you going to get it? This is how you get it. And I think uh, if they could really just secure the Yamamoto Sango 1-2 combo, you're off to a really good start. You know, you have something to actually build upon and be excited about. Um, So again, to me, it just, it really needs to get done. This is a big one, uh, especially I think for Cohen, just to get this out the way, this is a big one. I mean, they've got to get it done because if you don't get him and you're not getting these, you know, these big time power outfielders, uh, DH guys that we want, it's going to be a tough sell. It really is. I mean, I think for Met fans, um, you just, you feel very skeptical. I mean, you know what? You're like, okay, we got Stearns, but again, do we trust all these one-year prover guys? Are all these guys going to turn out and have bounce backs? Like, you're relying on a lot. I mean, you want to have at least some guys who are, you know, coming off of something good that they could build upon. You know, you don't want to have all reclamation projects. I mean, that, that that's really tough to build a winner like that. You can only fix so much uh, when it comes to players. So I, I really would like to see the Mets secure a nice young pitcher here. Yeah, I mean, we haven't really seen them bring in anybody old, which has been good. Like, that's really yeah. just been yeah, – like the, the oldest, I think, is Wendell at, at 33. Like it's all been it's all been re- relatively young, so that's a that's an improvement. But just yeah. calling about their young pitching again, like the Mets, we already knew that what was going to lead them to a World Series, you know, back in 2015 was going to be the pitching, and that was it. They were always talking about the pitching and the young pitching of Harvey and Degrom and Wheeler and Syndergaard and you know even Mats at at sometimes, and you know there were some other guys that that came up young for the Dylan bullpen. G. Dylan G. But the problem was is that none of them could stay healthy. And I'm going to go revert back to what we said in, about Severino. If they were to bring in a six-man rotation with the stipulations of these Japanese pitchers pitching every six days or once a week, I think that that is a perfect way to bring in the young pitching. Let's just say if you're plugging in your homegrown pieces around Yamamoto and Senga, there are some guys in the minor leagues that maybe they do get the job in their rotation. If you do a six-man rotation, you can keep them healthy. You can keep them throwing as hard for a lot longer. I want a six-man rotation only just because of the health concerns that the Mets have had for so goddamn long for pitching. We've seen Stearns do it before, and this just fits so perfectly into so many combinations, so many aspects where you bring Yoshi Yamamoto, you can bring in a six-man rotation, and you can keep everybody healthy. You can get tons of innings out of these arms. You don't tax your bullpen. There's just so many things that the Mets can do right now um, with Yamamoto coming in. It opens up the possibilities of a lot of different things, and I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that the Mets go, go after it and get it, and he signs with the Mets. Um, and I, to be honest, I mean, I would be willing to go over 300 million if that guarantees the possibility of getting Yoshi Yamamoto. Because you know, long term, there's a good chance that the investment is going to pay off, most likely. So now let's move to other pieces of information that were just sprinkled out throughout the Yamamoto sweepstakes. During the winter meetings, John Heyman reported that the Mets had discussions with outfielder Michael A. Taylor 
among five other teams. Taylor is 32 years old and coming off a solid season with the Twins, smashing a career-high 21 home runs and slashing 220, 278, 442 with a 96 WRC plus across 388 plate appearances. When asked about the Mets outfield situation, Stern said that the Mets can stand to add to the outfield this offseason, but it can come from a variety of skill sets. Stearns has revealed that the Mets have been surveying the free agent market and the trade market to fill the area. Other reports regarding the Mets outfield have linked them to trade targets such as Rays outfielder Manuel Margot and Red Sox outfielder Alex Verdugo before he was traded to the Yankees as the Mets were among three other teams interested. The Mets have also been linked to the likes of Harrison Bader, Kevin Kiermeyer, and have expressed interest in KBO free agent outfielder Jung Ho Lee. Multiple ports have suggested this as a fourth outfielder search that could possibly start in a pinch due to the uncertainty of Starling Marte going forward. Michael A. Taylor is a guy that, uh, you know, another one who's not really too high on my uh, priority list, on my wish list, so to speak. You know, number one of the age, that definitely is a factor. The guy is going to be turning 33. So like we talk about, best years are probably behind you. Uh, this was the first time we saw Michael Taylor pass the 20 home run threshold this past season with Minnesota. Um, so it's not like he's this prolific year in, year out, 25 to 30 home run bat uh, compared to plenty of other guys who are available on the market right now. Um, that's probably the thing that frustrates me the most. But uh, second thing, what frustrates me the most is you talked about, okay, well, fourth outfielder, Maybe fills in if Stalling Marte is not uh, healthy and fully ready to go. My question is, who the heck is playing left field for New York Mets? Who? Because if Michael A. Taylor is who you're signing, there's your starting left fielder. What are we doing here, folks? I mean, again, as a fourth outfielder, I'm good with it. But there is a scary reality that this guy might end up being an everyday starter for you. And to me... That can't happen if there are guys like Jorge Soler and Teoscar Hernandez and Josh Peterson and others available right now. And it's like we say, why do you look for the second option? You're Steve Cohen. We're not talking about a $100 million deal here. You weren't, you're not going to have to pay something crazy to get a, a Soler or someone like that. So for me, it's like, how about actually getting the guys who fit what this team needs? Even the Jung Ho Lee, I'm not uh, overly excited about it. I mean, uh, here's another guy who, not a big power bat. We know this team needs that. I just don't think that these guys are as good of fits as some other guys who are also on the available market right now. So to me, if he's a fourth outfielder, sure. But I, with the way things have been going, he might have been more than that. And I would not be signing him to that. If this was a fourth outfielder, fine. Power tools. Loves to put the ball in play. The problem is, like you just said, who is going to be playing left field? I really don't know. And I hope that if the Mets are actually looking at this from the approach that I'm hoping they're adding depth right now to the chart while they wait for Yoshi Yamamoto. And I'm hoping that this is the approach that the Mets go for. If it's not, we're going to have a big problem. I hope that the Mets do get linked to Jorge Soler, who can play the outfield. I hope that they do get linked to Teoscar Hernandez. I hope that they do get linked to pieces that can play the outfield, but also can provide you some power. Michael A. Taylor can give you something, but it's 
fourth outfielder value on a contending team. I think that Michael A. Taylor is a good piece that you can add to this roster, but he can't be the only one. I think it's, it's pretty much been established here that you can't add Michael A. Taylor as the only outfield piece. It can't just be one freaking guy. The Mets need at least two outfielders that they need to add. If one of them is Michael A. Taylor, sure. Other than that, another one, they need somebody who definitely has a little bit more projecting tools. The problem with the Harrison Bader, the problem with the Kevin Kiermeyer, the problem with even Jung-Ho Lee, who I think fucking sucks. Again, this is kind of on the same level of Michael A. Taylor, but like, the why? Kevin Kiermeyer, I don't even know why he keeps getting linked to the Mets, and I hope he never becomes a Met, ever. It's very interesting to see them being linked to some starting caliber pieces and then also some guys who most likely will come off the bench. Like, Michael A. Taylor's a starting caliber player on most teams. And then you had Alex Verdugo also that they were linked to before he was traded as well. So I just, they're looking at a market right now of so many different possibilities, and I'm hoping that it doesn't mean that they're going to come out with one of all of these possibilities. I need them to, like, do something else other than just Michael A. Taylor or Kevin Kiermeyer or, like, they need to do more than one because... I mean, all offseason, I've been looking at this as the Mets need two outfielders. They have needed two outfielders from the very beginning, ever since they traded away Tommy Pham, ever since the whole news with Starling Marte, Marcana. I mean, outfield is pretty empty. I love DJ Stewart. I think he's a decent bat, but I don't want to see him in my opening day line. Well, he might be your opening day line at DH with the rate they're going because... You know, that's the thing. Is that even if even if you sign Solaire and you don't if you don't make outfielder, now you need three players. So I, I mean, it, it's it's interesting how they're going to figure this one out. I get the fear of like you want positional versatility, you want tools, and you're trying to stay away from the Vogelbach. You're trying to stay of the guys who are one dimensional, but I feel Probably like there's somewhere. another dimension that they're kind of trying to avoid, and it's just been avoided for a long time. And like, yeah, Michael Taylor, 20 home runs last year. On a good day, he's giving you 14, 15, like whatever. But I don't think that this is the one where you're like, okay, yeah, if this is your fourth outfielder, sure. You know, this is someone who can give you elite defense. This is someone who can run the bases very well. 32, if it's a one-year deal, two-year deal with an option or whatever, fine. But this can't be it. This can't be the only thing that they do to this outfield because, again, I understand Having somebody that can play center field because of the injury concerns you'll always have with Nimmo. Also give me some other tools as well where like they can actually hit and they can actually do something like other than just catch a ball. And I wonder the other thing they consider is when we talked about third base thing and how I, I wonder if they're taking the approach of, well, who knows, maybe by middle of the season, maybe, you know, Clifford's ready or Gilbert's ready or something like that. And, and they look at that as, oh, we added, a, like Andrew, I suppose, a trade deadline piece, but it's really that they just called up uh, one of these corner outfitters if things get that bad. So it's like we talk about, not another position was a lot of major league ready depth. So if injuries do happen, especially someone like Starling Marte, that might be the direction they're turning. The thing is that there's a lot of major league ready depth on the free agent market right now that the Mets can go uh, after of corner yeah. outfielders with a lot of power. And that's the thing. Like, I just don't think that there's a reason to actually, like, to, to, to ignore it. I just, I don't see any possibility where you can ignore it, especially when you have a hole in the outfield and you have uncertainty with Starling Marte. 
you have a bunch of corner outfielders who can play the outfield decently, give you value there, and also provide you power, which you have lacked for so goddamn long. I just don't understand how it can't be just screaming at you that the Mets really need to address this position. But again, Michael A. Taylor, good addition. I'm not mad at it, but if that's going to be a starting outfielder, there is going to be a problem. But I'm giving Stearns Stearns the benefit of the doubt of how I feel like I think that he's addressing the depth and trying to make the, the roster deeper right now before they wait on Yamamoto. But right now, there is still a lot of position players that the Mets really need to address. And Joey Wendell cannot be the only one. And that's what scares me is that you look at the previous Milwaukee teams, they've always been power scarce and they've always needed an extra jolt of offense. And you know what? It's, it's like I said in my video with Soto, I'm like, you have Steve Cohen now. There's no excuse. You know, the, the, the guys, like I said, are literally right there to fit your team perfectly, especially to Oscar Hernandez. Like, they fit your team perfectly. And no, no link at all, no discussions, no meetings. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll see what the Mets are linked to after the whole uh, Yamamoto situation goes through. And, you know, that that's the main thing about pretty much what's going on all off season so far Mets fans need to relax like just relax all right just relax okay we know what their big fish is and that's going to determine their off season okay he still has like 13 spots to fill on his roster it's not like Yamamoto is the only guy to go after right now just relax like again and I'm going to say this one more time if you did not want an offseason like this where they're being savvy and they're trying to build from tools and they're trying to build from projection, don't hire Billy Epler. Like, literally right now, you're literally just trying to clean up Billy Epler's mess that he has completely created. I mean, what else is an explanation for that? The Mets have just completely cheaped out and Steve Cohen's broke? I mean, come on. Now, like we just said... There hasn't been a bigger hole on the Mets roster than the designated hitter ever since the concept was added to the National League in 2022. In this span, the Mets have had 11 different players slated into this position as Mets DHs are ranked 25th in OPS, 27th in home runs, and 20th in WRC+. Plus since 2022. When asked about the Mets' plan for the DH position this season, David Stearns identified Mark Vientos and DJ Stewart as internal options for the position. Although not much has been reported about the Mets going externally for DH, when asked about whether he believes the Mets' DH is on the roster already, Mets' new manager, Carlos Mendoza, said it was too early to tell this early in the offseason. The Mets' obvious need for power protection has continued to be a glaring issue, as seldom early reports have linked them to multiple free agents such as Jorge Soler, J.D. Martinez, Teoscar Hernandez, among others. Yeah, I, again, I mean, like you said, unclear. I mean, I think that's really the key word right now. And like we just finished talking about in the past segment, but uh, this could be another thing they search in-house. I mean, this could be DJ Stewart. This could be Mark Vientos. I mean, are they actually going to sign a true dh bat a, a big time power bat uh is it going to be yeah it could be any of these guys uh and that's why i think that to go back to what we were saying before getting one of these corner outfielders you know or even jock peterson perfect example a guy that could play some outfield for you definitely could start for you every now and then but could definitely be your everyday dh and a guy who's a perfect fit for this lineup 
Uh, and again, we talk about protecting P. Alonso, having some other guys who can hurt you and, you know, making you think twice about uh, not throwing the ball in the strike zone to Alonso because then Pete, if he's smart, will actually take some walks every now and then when they're not giving him anything to hit. This way, the guy behind him can actually bring him home. I think that if they just had that, like it's about protection, uh, it would be such a big difference. Something we're yet to see. Uh, and, and then we could actually see what P. Alonso truly can do. Uh, so for me, I, I think this is something that they should prioritize as far as getting a guy you could trust on. Uh, I don't think you should go two spots on the team hoping in-house works when none of those guys have been proven commodities as far as they definitely won the job last year. I don't think a two-month sample of DJ Stewart or a spring training of Ronnie Mauricio should be enough to where it's like, okay, we have two starters penciled in. You can't take that approach when you have this payroll, this owner, this championship window. I don't think you could have that approach. Uh, I think they need to look at something a little more proven. So I do want to see them go get some guys. Get, get a couple guys who've got some power uh, because – the guys that we've seen them claim, and again, the guys be interested too, they don't only really fit this bill. So I, I do want to see them actually get some true power bats, guys we've heard of, proven track records of power to be on this team. To be honest, the in-house guys with Mark Fientos and DJ Stewart, I'm okay giving them reps. I'm okay seeing what they have in spring training, but there needs to be somebody else there. Again, like with Mark Vientos there's a possibility where he could be another Shady Martinez. But, like, there, that's a possibility, and it's not guaranteed. I just don't like plugging in prospects whatsoever. I don't know if you can count DJ Stewart as a prospect, but, like, he's, like... Not, not, basically, he's not a proven guy, you know? He's basically like a prospect. You, you haven't really seen him do it for year after year of, of success on the major league level. I say it the same way of how they should have approached third base of just bringing in somebody who can push him out of there. To If you see the young player struggle, like we've seen Mark Vientos do before, you have someone who is experienced who can DH, protect Alonzo, and be an actual threat to give you possibly 30 home runs. Give me some actual power behind him. If this is something that is ignored, once again, we're going to have a problem. I think that we are going to have a big, big problem. If they want flexibility, I'm okay doing that. But you know that some of the options out here, aside from maybe J.D. Martinez, they can play other positions. I think Teoscar Hernandez is the biggest possibility if the Mets were to go after somebody in this area because I think that Stearns would probably like his tools a lot more. But it's just the power cannot be ignored it just cannot be ignored this is your last go possibly your last go with pete alonzo i mean if you are looking to compete if you're saying that you want to put a competitive team out here the only way that you can compete is to address a big problem that has been a problem for five years now since pete alonzo was called up we'll see what the mets do with this but all i can say is that if they don't go after a bat if it has flexibility or not, if they don't go after a big 30 home run bat, we might have an issue here. I have a question for you. What if the Mets signed a Jesse Winker or a Joey Gallo or Adam Duvall kind of player to be the DH on like a one year, 5 million, 7 million AAV? How would you feel about that? I don't know how to feel. I, I, I'm, I don't want that. If that were again, like a fourth outfielder slash DH type of thing, fine. 
if you want depth in that position where you have DJ Stewart there, you have uh, Mark Vientos, and then you like all you guys can play positions. They don't play it fantastic there. But if we're seeing like, okay, they signed Jesse Winker to a one-year deal, and then the other outfield addition is Michael A. Taylor, then yeah. I'm going to have a problem. Like, I'm going to yeah. have a problem with that because, like, I wish that the Mets would look at it where they can kill two birds with one stone. Like, they, exactly. they just need to do it. Don't give me a Daniel Vogel back of dimensions. Like, don't give me that. Even our guy Hunter Renfro we talked about last year, He's still a great fit. Like, the guy can play the outfield totally fine and provide power. I don't need the big stars. I don't need exactly. a massive star. I exactly. need tools that can help you win. There's just a lot of need for guys who just do one thing well. And I get the versatility of the different tools of Joey Wendell and stuff like that. But when the team lacks power so much, I mean, I, I just can't see them ignoring it, you know, like. You have Pete, you have both Francisco's, but other than that, I mean, Brandon, maybe, but... I just don't want Pete carrying the load that he has exactly. carried. I just don't exactly. want him doing that. And if you if you bring in somebody that can do that, he could produce more with a less of a load. Like, that's the problem that it's, they've always run into. And I think that if you address this DH position properly, you can get the most out of Pete Alonso. And, you know, th there was only a few times, again, I've said this before... DJ Stewart was hitting a bunch of home runs. They batted him behind Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso hit like crazy as well with him around him because he was an actual power threat. I'm not saying that DJ Stewart is the guy to put behind Pete Alonso, but someone who is a power threat and somebody acting as a power threat who is a red hot bat, you have a bunch of power hitters in your lineup. One of them's going to be hot at one point and it's giving you instant offense. We've talked about this way too many goddamn times and they, they need to address it they don't have, there is no excuse. There really just isn't no excuse. It's gone five years running already. And they have to do something. If DJ Stewart was actually a consistent around 900 OPS player, then sure. Yeah. But again, I, I just don't, we've seen too many guys have a hot month or two and then, you know, get too, then too much stock is put into it. Especially a guy who, again, does not have, is not like, you know, he's just saying, but he hasn't been an all-star before. Like, you don't have a lot of... He's not established. Success. He's yeah, not he's not established, established yeah. to, to go on. Like, oh, yeah, this is what DJ Stewart's capable of. It's like, is he? Games have no pressure, don't count. Like, it, it's very tough to... I'm all for going for the Flyers because one of them will eventually stick, like DJ Stewart did. There's a guy in Austin Meadows out there who has a very similar swing... To DJ Stewart. I mean, the, the thing is, is that I'm all for the flyer there, but they need to get someone who has a, is an established 30 home run bat to put behind Alonzo. If I had it my way, I would get I would get four. But going realistically, give me somebody that can protect Alonzo. And maybe he would not have to strike out as much and it wouldn't piss people off. Maybe he wouldn't have to bat 210. You know, it helps. And the Mets just haven't done that. I think that the best protection he's had is probably Conforto. And Conforto's been gone for, what, three years? I mean, so, you know, Conforto's like the only, what, 30 home run bat behind him? Like, that's an issue. Especially a guy who hasn't been on the team for multiple years now. Here's your rapid-fire stories for this week. The Mets received the 19th overall pick in the 2024 MLB draft. While over the luxury tax, the Mets draft slot moves down 10 slots after they drew the number 9 slot in the draft lottery this week. The Mets have acquired left-handed pitcher 
Ryan Ammons from the Red Sox in exchange for their Rule 5 pick from Texas, right-handed pitcher Justin Slayton. Ammons is 22 years old and a former 10th round pick by Boston from last year out of the University of Clemson. The Mets have recently signed seven players to minor league contracts that include a invite to spring training. These signings include right-handed pitcher Cole Sulser, right-handed pitcher Carlos Guzman, right-handed pitcher Joseph Yabor, right-handed pitcher Kyle Crick, right-handed pitcher Andre Scrub, infielder Jose Iglesias, and outfielder Taylor Colwey. The Mets have claimed catchers Cooper Hummel from the Mariners and Tyler Heineman from the Blue Jays. Hummel is 29 years old and a former draft pick by Stearns back in 2016. Heineman is 32 years old and has had a few short stints with four teams in Pittsburgh, Toronto, San Francisco, and Miami since 2019. The Yankees have signed former Mets pitcher Dennis Santana to a minor league contract. Santana spent all of 2023 in the Mets organization and was designated for assignment by the team back in August. Party words for episode number 33, the Matt Harvey episode. Nobody else. Tough, That's tough it. names, let's say. It's Yamamoto time. You know, I mean, I hope this is the week that he signs because I just want it to get over with. You know, I, I really want to see the offseason begin as far as what are we actually doing because I really think they're waiting on him before they do anything big. Um, So you need the big fish to, to fall first, you know, the big domino to fall, the big fish, to fall, whatever you want to call it. You got to get that out of the way before things could actually happen uh, to know, to get a better idea of what this team's actually going to be next year. Um, so now that Soto's off the board, Otani's off the board, it's Yamamoto time. So let, let's see what happens there. Let's get it done. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a PSA to Mets fans right now. Just be patient. I'm just asking you to be patient until the Yamamoto news comes out. You know your main guy of who you're actually going after. Just be patient. They have to fill the roster right now. They have to bring in some of the minor league guys, some of the prove-it deals. This isn't all they're going to be doing. They're just waiting on their main guy after what they can actually pivot to. I'm not saying completely trust David Stearns, but I'm just saying let the guy do his job. That's all I ask. Just let him do his job. And then we will then we will understand where the, what the direction this team goes in for 2024. Other than that, we'll see you guys next week for episode number 34. The offseason will be live for breaking news. We'll have stuff throughout the week as per usual. Make sure to subscribe, all that great stuff, and we'll see you guys next time. Peace out.